people live in hell already. They have a horrific life. But what's awaiting? Nobody that is living could even relate to what's awaiting. Yet God seeing that, he says, I'm going to give my best. I'm going to give them a gift. Now, if I give you a gift, number one, I'm not going to take it back because it's a gift. That's why the gift and call of God are irrevocable because they're given. But it's up to you to accept it or not. So it would be, you could say, okay, yes, I want it. And then it's yours. It's yours to keep. Or you could say, no, thank you. I don't want that. So the nature of the gift involves our response toward it. This thing, I'm just afraid I'm going to trip on that. Um, amen? Now, there was a woman that was Samaritan. Anybody knows what a Samaritan was in the days of Jesus? Was a woman that was an outcast. She was not really um, out of the Jewish population. She was a mixed race. And the Jews would consider her second class citizen. On top of that, she had five marriages. So <laughs> she was a little bit of a case for those days standard. And this woman went to the well in the middle of the day because she thought, well, maybe in the middle of the day I won't find that much people because it's so hot. Nobody wants to carry a big thing of water from the well to the town. And she chose a, a time of the day that there would not be that many people. But little did she know that she was going to meet the gift. So when she goes there, Jesus says, by the way, this is in John chapter 4 for those that want to write that down. But Jesus said, you know, give me something to drink. Give me a drink. Why is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan and woman, to drink? And he said, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and who is the one who is asking you for water, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So the gift of God is a person. Sometimes as Christians, we think the gift is the giftings of the spirit or us moving in whatever gift we have in the house of God. But that is just um, a support for ministry. The giftings of the Holy Spirit are the manifestation of power in the life of a believer in order to function in the kingdom of God. But the gift is the person of the Lord. He is the gift. So he said, if you would know the gift, meaning you could know the person. If I give you a gift of a book, you're not going to know it unless you open and you read it, right? If I give you a necklace, you have to wear it. 
person, a person, you have to have fellowship. You have to sit with this person. You have to talk to this person. And this person, it says, if you would know the gift, you would have asked him and what he would have given you. So this person that we call Jesus, it's a giver. It's a person that established relationship so he could manifest his person to you. So you could know him. So you could know what he likes. So you could know how he talks. Because the language of God is very different than our language. The language of God is not Spanish or English or French. The language of God is the Bible. He speaks Bible terms. He's going to speak to your heart in Bible terms. Who are you, Lord? I am. Because it's written, I am that I am. So this awesome person not only wants to reveal himself to us, but check this out. The Samaritan woman starts talking to him because he spoke of this living water. And she said, well, give it to me. And he says, go tell your husband to come. Oh, I don't have a husband. That's right. Because you have five husbands, and then the one that you have right now, it's not your husband. Oh, I perceive you're a prophet. So he's going to draw what is really in her heart. She has a question about where to worship. She says, hey, you're a prophet. Now, the Jews said that we're to worship in Jerusalem, but we worship on this mountain. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The time has come, and now it is, that the true worshipers shall worship in a spirit and in truth. And those worshipers, the Father is seeking to worship him. So he changed completely her frame of mind. First of all, he approached an outcast. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what has marked your past, what things are impossible for you to overcome, what things are difficult for you to overcome. He approaches us. He approaches us first and he established relationship. He doesn't care if you're a Samaritan woman that is an outcast, that is a mixed race of what they thought the chosen race. But he's approaching her and now he's going to blow her away because for 4,000 years, the Lord has been worshipped in a particular mountain. Actually, 3,000 if you count when they came out of Egypt. And the Lord says, in the place that I would record my name, in that place I would listen to you. In that place you shall worship me. So she's thinking, not only am I an outcast by man, but also by God. Because I cannot go to Jerusalem. 
I cannot be with those people. I cannot even enter the temple. I'm an outcast. Yet God doesn't listen to me here. The Jews says that is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, well, the Jews are right because salvation comes from the Jews. But I tell you the truth. The hour has come that those that worship God will worship him in his spirit and in true. Meaning God not only came to earth, not only came to establish relationship, but he chose your heart to live in. Your heart says the Lord lives in my heart. Say that. The Lord lives in my heart. And if you're a believer, you came to that point that you said, Jesus, come into my heart. Amen. And some that are not a believer, today we're going to give you the opportunity. Because he's gentle. He's sweet. He will never hurt you. He will never leave you. He will never disappoint you. He's there to strengthen you. To bless you, to show you his ways, to show you his person. So we have that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. And we're celebrating Christmas because 2,000 years ago, that word became a little baby and dwelt among men and was as fragile as any man. Amen. But when he was here. He revealed himself. In seven. I am's. That we find in the book. Of John. So who can tell me one. Huh. I am. The way the truth and the life. I am. The vine, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. So he, for three and a half years, walked with 12 guys that were near him. And with 70 that were like a second tier of people around that he revealed himself to. And he revealed his kindness, his grace. John said, out of his fullness, we have all taken grace upon grace. So it says, truly the law came through Moses, but the grace and truth through Jesus Christ. There is no one as tender, no one as sweet, no one as gentle, no one as brave that are Jesus. So Jesus lived here for three and a half years and he's been saying all along, I'm going to die. <laughs> They're going to crucify me and on the third day I will rise up again. But nobody believed it. So his disciples were even afraid of talking to him about that because they couldn't comprehend it. That the Messiah would actually 
die. But it happened. He died. And three and a half days later, he resurrected. And the first group that saw the Lord, in fact, who was the first person? Hmm? Mary Magdalene. She was the first person. Do you know that in the Talmud says the testimony of 100 women cannot stand against the testimony of one man? Meaning women were nothing. A hundred, it's probably a hundred people here. A hundred of us cannot stand against the testimony of one man. And that happened during the days of Jesus. But who did he choose to put the testimony in their lips against all the disciples that were men? Who? A woman. The Lord changed it completely. So he resurrected. He appears first to Mary Magdalene. The same day, she sees him. She's the first one to see him. And she's going to touch him because she's crying. And the angels are, this is how, how taken by grief she is. That she sees two angels and she doesn't even. And she said, because they have taken my master, they stole the body. And then she keeps crying. And then she sees a person. And she assumes it's the gardener. So she said, sir, if you have taken him, please let me know where you put him. I will go get him. And this person said, Mary. And she recognized him. Rabboni. And she's going to hug him. And he says, no, don't hug me because I have not ascended to my father and your father, my God and your God. But go tell my disciples. So she goes to tell the disciples. When she's gone to tell the disciples, a company of women arrive there. And when they arrive there. The, the, the angels tell this company of women, go and tell the disciples and Peter that he has resurrected. So now we have Mary Magdalene going first to the disciples. Now a group of women going to tell them, but on their way, somebody intercepts them. And that's Jesus. And they worship him and hug him. Mary did not hug him because when Jesus resurrected, Jesus had to present his blood before the Father. Remember the first place that sin took place was where? In heaven. In heaven there was a rebellion. So Christ had to present his blood in heaven to make atonement in heaven, to make a way for us. But the day of atonement, when the priest would present the blood upon the mercy seat, 
the priest cannot be touched because it would be unpure. So when Jesus resurrected, he said, don't touch me yet because I'm ascending to my father and your father. But moments later, he already came back. And this time, the rest of the women hugged him. So what happened? The women hugged him, and they're on the way to tell the disciples. And now by now, Mary already went to the disciples, and Peter and John think, no way. They run back to the tomb. When they run back to the tomb, they don't believe. So then they go back. And that's where we find this evening in Luke chapter 20. Because that same day, see, nobody believed the women. Nobody. Jesus chose women. Isn't that just awesome? And all the women of God say, glory to God. Amen. Amen. Does anybody know why women were not part of Jesus' apostles? None of the apostles were women. Anybody knows why? Does anybody know why women could preach now, but they couldn't in the Old Testament? The what? Yeah, but no. In the Old Testament, you had two offices that pertain exclusively to the Messiah. The office of the king, the office of the priest. Those offices were exclusively males. You could be a prophet and you could be a, a female prophet in the, in the Old Testament. But you cannot be a priest. The priest and king are exclusively for the Messiah. Now, that is the old covenant. When is the new covenant established? When Jesus came? Yes. But no. Because if I write a testament, a will, I could write a will, but that will cannot be enforced until what? Until I die. So when was the New Testament enforced? At the death of Jesus Christ. That's why he said, this is the cup, this is the blood of what? The new covenant that will be shed for many. This is the bread will be my body, which is given for many. That night he established, boom, a new covenant. It was enforced three days later at resurrection. When that happened, then we are all kings and priests. Then the church is no longer male, female, Jew, or Gentile, but we are all 
kings and priests. Amen. Give him a clap because that's huge. Because prior to that, we could not even enter. We are all Gentiles. Or is anybody here 100% Jew? None of us would enter. But because he established a new covenant based on better promises, then now, Paul said, there is no male, no female. You could be a priest and be a female. The entire body of Christ is the bride. Come on. Amen. So that day of resurrection, the Lord surprised everybody by giving the, the ministry of the proclamation of the gospel to women. That was unheard to the point that even the disciples would not believe. They refused to believe. That's why they sent Peter and John. But they didn't see Jesus. Jesus did not appear to them. Now we have two of the disciples that were not really the apostles either. They were not one of the 12. They were a second tier. One of them, his name is Cleophas. And the other one, uh, it doesn't give us the name. But we know that Cleopas' wife was at the cross the day that Jesus was crucified. So it could have been him and his wife going to their house. Or it could have been him and another guy going to his house. The point is that they were both going away from Jerusalem the day of resurrection. And they're going away to Emmaus where they live. Emmaus means lukewarm waters. They were going away from the power, from the fire. They were going away to this place of lukewarm waters because the whole thing did not fit. We were waiting that he might have been the Messiah, but we were deceived. So if you go with me, we're in verse 13, that same day, day of resurrection. To a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together all these things that had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with him. Something happened in the resurrection that Jesus was not purpose. And I'll, I'll explain that why. But nobody could recognize him. It was like they recognized him by what he said. They recognized him by what he did. They recognize him by the way he called them. They recognize him by his actions. But they did not recognize him by looks anymore. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. We recognize our Messiah for what he does, how he acts, what he says, how he called us, but not how he looks. Therefore, Jesus could be in anybody, regardless the way they look, regardless their background or their race or their cultural upbringing. It's no longer by what you see, it's by the heart. So they're walking and they're very sad. 
They've invested three and a half years of their life on this Messiah that ruined the whole thing. And Jesus comes along. They don't know that it's Jesus. And Jesus said, now, what kind of conversation is that that you're having with one another? And why are you sad? You know that Jesus loves to prompt situations. <laughs> I love it. He, he doesn't let you hide behind excuse. I'm sad. I'm depressed, okay? Don't talk to me. Okay, why are you depressed? <laughs> he gets you talking like that. Why are you so sad? He draws right near them and takes out of them, okay, what is this disappointment that you're having? How is it? Are you the only ex a, a, a foreigner in Israel now these days that doesn't know what happened? He said, what happened? He said about Jesus of Nazareth, how he was a mighty man of God. So they said to him, or in verse 19, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And now, the and how the chief priest of our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping, this is where the whole frustration is, because we had expectations. We were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping it was him who was going to redeem Israel indeed. Besides, this today is the third day since this thing happened. Now, a certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not see the body, they came back saying that they also had visions of angels and that they said that it's alive. But you know what, how women are of always having visions and always, you know, having all these things. They're very fantastic. And, you know, we cannot believe because when they don't find the body, then they came up with this thing. And Jesus said, you're so stupid. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> he said, all oh, foolish ones. <laughs> and is slow of heart. He said, you're foolish and you're slow. You're just not getting it. And he says that beginning at Moses, he went through all the scriptures. I mean, they're walking with the living word. They're walking with the one that... The word became flesh. So he's the word. The word is explaining the word. <laughs> and he's teaching them from Moses in all the scriptures how the Messiah had to come and died. So this took a few time. And all of a sudden, they arrive to this place. So Jesus apparently said, well, you know, I can't hang out anymore. I'm just, I, I have to go. And they constrain him. You know that if you constrain him, he will stay? Do you know? Those that are like prayer people, they know that after you pray, it comes a point in, in prayer that 
you know, every prayer starts boring, okay? So don't think that, you know, you start praying and it's like this fire. No, you start praying and it's boring because you're wondering, okay, I forgot to tell someone this thing or I forgot and then there's a call that I didn't make. I need to text someone and, you know, my kid is crying and then you're trying to pray and you're just trying but you're not getting anywhere. Anybody there? Yeah. But if you stay, see, you win when you stay. If you stay, it comes a point in prayer that you break through. And in that point, you kind of like, you're engaging now. Your emotions are engaged. You're, 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 you're either joyful or you might be crying because of the presence of God. Or, or something is in prayer that is, now, it's, now it has become an engine. But you had to walk through that process. But at the end of that, at the end that, that you intercede and you pray and you're with Jesus and it was wonderful, in prayer comes like a, like a peace. It comes like, okay, I'm done. I finished. The burden is out. Anybody there? Amen. Well, that's the place that you need to stay a little bit longer. Because we think it's done and we leave prayer. But if we constrain him... We might get a revelation of his person. So they constrain him and he enters the house. And the thing is that, you know, in the Jewish culture, when you invite someone for dinner or, you know, to your house and you set up the table, the one in charge, meaning the, the um, father or the head of the family in charge will be the person that would break bread it will be the person that would say, okay, everybody, let's pray. Amen? It won't be up to the kids. It won't be up to the visitor. But the moment that they constrain him and he enters that house, he becomes the head of the house. He, sends, he sits at the table and he's the one who's breaking the bread. The moment that you ask Jesus into your heart, he's going to take over if you let him. He's there to take over that whole table of your heart. He's there to bless you. He's there to strengthen you. He's there to reveal himself to you. So, it says, Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished from their eyes. Where did he go? Anybody? Yes. Say it again. Say it again. The heart. If you read the next verse, he disappeared from their sight. Huh? And they, they then, then they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened scripture to us? That was the revelation of the greatest gift ever given is that before this 
I could be in Jerusalem, but I cannot be in Capernaum. I could be in Bethlehem, but I cannot be in Nazareth. I could be entering Samaria, but at the same time, I cannot be in Jericho. But now, I could be wherever you're at. In your heart. The moment that he broke that bread and he disappeared, the heart continued to burn. So the Lord was teaching them immediately how to interact with him. It's not by sight anymore. It's by the heart. He speaks in the heart. You read the word of God. It goes into your heart. The greatest gift lives in your heart. When you accept Jesus, you cannot divide the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit enter you. And that's your choice and his choice. And you become his temple. You become the person that he wants to reveal himself to. Now, you remember what happened with Adam and Eve, right? Everybody familiar with that story? We're all familiar with that story. So Adam and Eve were created. And um, did the Lord put clothing on them? No, they were naked. Did they know they were naked? No. Why they didn't know that they were naked? Huh? They didn't know shame. What else? Huh? They didn't know sin. What else? No one told them. Very good. You know why they didn't see something so obvious? I mean, if we're naked, come on. <laughs> that is like super obvious. Yet they were not aware of that. Because they were aware of God. They saw him. They heard him. They talked with him. They lived with him. So they did not even dare to do this. Because they were always doing that. So Satan knew it. And he said to Eve, you eat of this. Because the moment that you eat of it, God knows that you will know. Good and bad. But that was a lie too. Now what happened when she ate and he ate? Something happened immediately. Their, uh -huh, somebody said it. Their eyes, their eyes were open. So were their eyes closed before? Did the Lord make them blind? No. Their eyes were open before. But now they're open to what? They were self-conscious. And that's what Satan wanted. The moment that you're self-conscious, you're going to be in fear. You're going to be running for your life. You're going to be in despair. You're going to be aware of your deficiency. You're going to be aware of your nakedness. You're going to be self-aware. The moment you look at Jesus, you are 
God aware. So Jesus just re reversed the whole thing of the, of the fall in this one verse. He gave them the bread. And when they saw him, their eyes were open. Then their eyes were open and they knew him. See that? Verse 31. Then their eyes were open. When he took the bread, he blessed it. He broke it. Then they knew him and he disappears. The moment that they know him and they're aware of him and their eyes are open. Because Satan has closed humanity's eyes for 4,000 years. People cannot see God. People saw their deficiencies. But now, through Christ, they saw him. Their eyes were open. They were God aware. A few minutes before, they told Christ, why don't you stay with us? Because it's late. Because it's dangerous. Because the way, it's, 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 it's too difficult. Don't travel in the middle of the night. You know what they did after they saw Christ? They rose up and they said, let's go back. They forgot that it was dangerous. They forgot that it was nighttime. They forgot that they were tired. They forgot that they were weary. They did not even eat. They said, get ready. We need to tell the others about this. Because they were God aware. The moment that you're God aware, the moment that that knowledge that God is in you and with you, that will never leave you nor forsake you, boldness steps in. You're ready to conquer it. You're ready to move forward. You're ready to face that situation because you know there is one going ahead of you. Because you know that he burns in the heart. So as they came back and they entered the room, they said, it's true. Jesus appeared to the women. And he says, while they were talking, someone came in the middle. And they were all. And someone is in our middle. Someone is right here. What are you going to do with that gift? So today I want to ask you if you have never had the chance to have that gift. To have the son of man, the son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. And you said, Lord, I want to be able to see. I don't want to be aware of my own situation. I want to be aware of a mighty God. I want to give you my heart. I want you to live in this mortal heart of mine. Forgive me of my sins and make me new. If that is you, just raise your hand. I want to see you. Because I want to pray for you. If you want to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. In this Christmas season, in this time that we are celebrating the greatest gift given to man. And women, we are gifted. Who wants to say, 
I want Jesus. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else that wants to say, I want this, Lord? Amen. I see your hand. Anybody else? Amen. I'm going to ask those two to just stand real quick so I could pray for you. Stand to your feet and don't feel embarrassed. Was that you, honey, or no? Okay. Was it? No. Then I want to pray for you. Carrie, would you just? Father, in the name of Jesus, and, and if you are embarrassed and you don't want to do it, the Lord said, whoever is embarrassed of me, I will be embarrassed of him. The day that we all have to go before the throne of God. So don't be embarrassed, but give Jesus your heart. It's the greatest treasure for him. He paid a price for that heart. He gave his life. So, Lord, we thank you for our sister. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for her. We pray, Lord Jesus, that as you enter her heart, Lord, you will be welcome, Lord Jesus, that her heart would be the place of prayer, the place where you live. Take her life, Lord Jesus. Make her new. And we bless her in your precious name. Come into my with me and all of you repeat, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Make me new again. Forgive my sins. I want to have you, Lord. Cleanse me. Help me to walk with you. Thank you, Lord. And for those that are believers, you are gifted. You are gifted with the precious Holy Spirit, with the precious person of the Lord. Take advantage of it. Who can say today, Lord Jesus, I want to be focused on you. I don't want to be Lord, focus on my lack, on my disease or sickness or, you know, relationship and kids out of control. My life is a mess. You know, why? Why do we have to look at that? But God, help me to focus. Reveal yourself as the bread of life to me. Break it before me that I may be aware of you. You know what he did that day? It said that he opened their understanding so they could comprehend the scripture. And he's here to open your understanding. So for those that want to say, Lord Jesus, I want that. I want to comprehend the scripture. I want to know you deeply. Just stand up. We're going to pray. Amen. 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 Come here to the front. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for those that hunger and thirst for righteousness and who know 
that I need to change my perspective, that I need the Lord to make me aware of him instead of Satan making me aware of myself. Amen? Amen. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, if you're near any of these sisters, just stand next to them. Put your hands on them. Bless them. We're going to pray for them. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we come to you the way that we are. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that just that very day, 2,000 years ago, when you came in and you opened our understanding, that you would do this tonight. Open our understanding that we may comprehend the word. That we may understand the way that you speak to us in the heart. Put in us, Lord, a fire as the word of God burns within us. Give us, Lord Jesus, the discipline to be in the word of God. To be in prayer. To have you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we present our lives, we present our families, we present our situations, and we ask you, Lord, that we would be God conscious, that we would see you entering situations and changing them, that we would see you by the Spirit of God, not the physical person, but how you move in the midst of your people. We pray today, Lord, renew us strengthen us say that with me Lord Jesus strengthen me today renew me today refresh me today so Lord we thank you for that and we pray Lord that as everyone goes back that we would all have a burning fire of the greatest gift that was ever given to us Thank you for that gift, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen.